Good morning, church. My name is Caleb. I serve as one of the pastors here at Desert Springs. Today, we're going to continue on in a series called Disciple. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. So if you're joining us uh, here in the room today, uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark, chapter 14. Uh, Also, you should have it in the handout that you got on the way in today. For those of you all joining us online, uh, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab that. If you don't, no problem. Just go to Bible.com, and we're using the Christian Standard Bible uh, today in Mark, chapter 14. Also, for those of you that maybe if you don't own a Bible and would like one, we've got some available on the tables in the back. Please feel free to take one of those as our gift to you. Uh, Before we get into the text today, I want to give you a couple announcements. One, uh, uh, Easter week is coming up, and we've got three things that we wanted to make sure that you knew about our Easter week. So if... um Uh, If you're following the Lenten cycle, which not everybody does, which is totally fine, but if you're following the Lenten cycle, uh, that concludes uh, uh, the week of Easter. And we will be uh, having our facility, our worship center open on the 14th of April, which is sometimes referred to as Maundy Thursday, so the Thursday before Easter. And our our worship center will be open from 9 a.m. until 8 p.m. with uh, uh, self-guided stations for prayer. So come whenever you want. Uh, the, The room will be open for you to pray. There'll be some stations around the room. Uh, And this is a great opportunity to kind of prepare your heart and mind for Good Friday and Easter. Then on Good Friday, uh, the Friday before Easter, which is the 15th, uh, we will be gathering for our Good Friday service at 7 o'clock. That'll be a contemplative service. Uh, DNA and I will be uh, leading that, and we'd love to have you join us for our Good Friday service. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll gather at 9.30 and 11 for our Easter celebration. And uh, as Amy said, we are doing baptisms on Easter, so if you want to get baptized on Easter, just let us know. We'd love the opportunity uh, to help you with that. Also, out in the lobby, just next to the center pillar, are a bunch of postcards. Uh, if you want to take some of those and invite friends, if you have them, Um, If you don't, frenemies is fine, acquaintances, whatever you've got in your life going on, uh, grab some of those postcards, uh, hand them out to friends, uh, and invite them to join us for Easter. Second thing is, uh, as Amy said, we are a church family that really strives to put our our, our faith into practice in a variety of different ways by living generously, whether that's uh, our partnership with Habitat for Humanity and the Palomino community, partnership with AZ-127 and foster care, uh, or uh, working with our strategic partners around the world. And we have a unique opportunity I wanted to share with you today. uh, a, a connection that we have to a ministry uh, called House of James through one uh, uh, through Chad Johnson, who has served here at Desert Springs as one of our elders. His brother, uh, I think about 20 years ago, went to Ukraine and started uh, the ministry House of James. These are multiple houses uh, that provide for children who don't have a home. So if you'll pardon me, it's kind of like foster care, but different just because of how things are different. And I don't fully understand the difference. There's house parents uh, who take care of the kids that are in those homes. There's multiple homes. Uh, Sean and his family have fled Ukraine. They're now in uh, 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 Poland, uh, and they are trying to get back on their feet and get things reestablished so they can take care of the different uh, house parents, if I'm understanding it right, are in kind of in different places, some still in Ukraine, some in other neighboring countries. And so with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, they have fled. They're in Poland. And so here's the, here's the, the, the practical like, way that we can live generously is um, uh, they don't have a home right now. And the way that it's looking like is they're going to ask for like six months rent up front. 
if, and, and again, I don't know all the details. Um, I think that has to do with the fact that there's just an awful lot of refugee movement there in, in Poland. And so we're talking like five figures. Uh, the price of everything is very high, gasoline, food. So Sean and his family, are they're, they're safe as far as we know in Poland, but they're trying to get established again so they can do this. So here's what we're going to do. We've already sent some funds just to get them moving and kind of get them like foot in the door for being able to get into a home. Uh, but for the next three weeks, if you'd like to participate, for the next three weeks, any funds that go to our benevolence fund, we're going to send to House of James Ministry. We don't exactly know what the needs look like other than what I've just shared, uh, but we know that there are massive needs. So if you'd like to give for the next three weeks, anything that's given to our benevolence fund will go to House of James to help take care of uh, uh, Sean and his family uh, and this ministry as they try to get back on their feet. Uh, in the midst of this crisis. So if you'd like to give, you can use the envelopes in the back of the seat in front of you. If you go online, if you go online, uh, there's a drop down uh, when you go to the giving section that says benevolence. Again, just for the next three weeks, anything that goes there, we'll send over. And then, and then if there's more need, we'll just let you know. I mean, we, we did this uh, last fall with Afghanistan. We knew that many Afghan refugees would come here and we did kind of the same thing. So uh, we're coming to you again with a little bit of detail, with a really big need, and we'll fill you all in as we figure out as we go. So uh, would you join me as we pray for Sean, his family, and, and House of James? Uh, Lord, we pray for this ministry. As we pray for this family and for these children. Lord, that, that you would grant them safe access to safe spaces, that, that they would be provided for, that they would receive the food, the care, shelter, clothing that they need. Lord, I don't know what it feels like to be in their shoes, but you do. So we pray that you would grant to them spirit, that you would just grant them comfort. And for us, Lord, that you would use us so many miles away, um, that you would use this generosity to minister to them, to serve them, to be an investment in ongoing ministry. And, and even just praying this breaks my heart. We just know that... <clears throat> We know that the need for this ministry is increasing day by day with this ongoing conflict and violence. And so we pray, Lord, for your blessing and favor on House of James, on Sean and his family, and that you would help us to understand how it is that we're uh, being called uh, to use the resources you've given to us to help our brothers and sisters in need. Lord, we know that you love us, and, and we know that you love them. And we know that you are powerful to fulfill your promises, and so we entrust this ministry, these children, Sean and his family, to your care. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we're going uh, uh, to break our habit a little bit. What we've been doing throughout this series is doing an extended reading of Scripture uh, and then kind of noticing some things. We're going to flip that around today. So I'm going to go through the text, uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 43 till the end. Uh, we'll go through the text. I'm going to notice a bunch of stuff. Then we're going to do an extended reading of Scripture. And I, actually what I'm going to ask you to do is do a hearing of Scripture. And then we'll take communion together and then we'll conclude. And the reason that we're going to do it this way is my, my hope, my prayer for today for you, regardless of where you're at, uh, whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or you're just curious about who Jesus is, trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, maybe you've given up on Jesus, but you're, you're here to figure out if he's going to give us another shot, which TV timeout, I just, I love this. Do you know uh, who Jesus says yes to? Like anyone who wants Jesus, Jesus says yes to. And so if you're here in one of those, if you're here today, man, he says yes to you. And so regardless of where you're at, my prayer for you is that you would have an experience with Jesus. 
uh, this morning, that as the text is read, that, you, that the Spirit would move in your heart and your imagination, that you would, you would participate in this text today in a, in, a, in a way that's maybe not so much here, although I love that, uh, but maybe more here today, especially as we gear up for uh, Palm Sunday next week and then Easter the following week. So um, in order to do that, I'm going to ask you like way in advance, if you would get your communion elements out, and for those of you who are joining us online, grab something to represent. So if you're going to take, commun- we're going to take communion near the end. If you'd like to take communion, would you just please uh, prepare that? And, I'll, and you'll know why we're doing this right now. Would you just, would you just do this cellophane symphony for me today? Um, and by the way, for those of you that are frustrated with the cellophane symphony, hi, yes. I'm with you. Uh, we are working on ways to uh, do it better, <laughs> but here we are. So if you would just prepare those elements so that when we get to the moment, we don't hear uh, what we're presently hearing right now. Can we do a TV timeout real quick and tell you guys a funny story that's completely irrelevant? Last year, uh, we did, so it was still kind of figuring out COVID stuff. This was Easter. This was Good Friday of last year, and at Good Friday, we gave uh, uh, like sealed up bags with juice and bread and, and, and Kathy really did a great job putting that all together for us. But, but what we did for the juice was we gave cans of juice. And then during, during Good Friday service, which was quite reflective and very like peaceful and in, in the quiet of reflecting on the death and burial of Jesus, it was time to take. And I said, okay, would you please get your communion elements ready? And all you heard was... <laughs> like a beer commercial, like, (laughs) and I remembered thinking we we should have thought about, we should have thought about this ahead of time, the aesthetic. So, uh, so this year we're going to use Capri Suns for, um, (laughs) you know, okay, so let's go to Mark chapter 14. Uh, One of the best tools for Bible study that we can deploy is noticing. I want to encourage you, regardless of your familiarity with the Bible, you have a tool that you can use anytime, and I would encourage you to do so today when you go home and read your whole Bible later today, which you should do every day. Uh, but as you read the Bible, the best tool that I, I think the best tool to start with is just noticing. Allow the text to be weird, allow it to be strange, allow it to be confusing, and just notice. And that's a tool that you can use for the rest of your life. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the text, and I, I hope to notice some things and, and hope that you you notice some things as well, then we'll read, we'll, we'll, we'll hear the text together. Uh, Jesus, uh, at this point in time in the text, has, uh, he, he's done the Garden of Gethsemane where he's prayed that the Lord would take the cup of wrath for him. Uh, his disciples had failed to stay awake with him. And now we're at the tail end of the Garden of Gethsemane scene with Jesus, uh, where now Judas is going to come and, and, and take him. And so this is where uh, the text picks up. Verse 43. While uh, he was still speaking, Jesus, Judas, one of the twelve. Time out. Notice Judas' last name is not one of the twelve. Why does the author say one of the 12? What was the 12? Uh, for some of you, you may remember, right, there were tw- tw- the 12 was a shorthand way to refer to Jesus' inner circle. These were not all the disciples. I know we sometimes say the 12 disciples, and they were disciples. There were many, many more disciples, uh, but the 12 were kind of like the inner circle. They were supposed to be like, they were supposed to be the homies, okay? They were supposed to be tight. And I just want to notice that Judas was one of the Okay, this is in Mark chapter 14, Mark mentions that Judas was one of the 12 multiple times. Not because we're prone to forget, but what he's doing in, he's digging in the knife of betrayal. We're supposed to feel, when we see one of the 12, we're supposed to feel a deep betrayal. 
suddenly arrived, and with him was a mob or a crowd. Notice that just a few chapters before, in chapter 11, there was a massive crowd welcoming Jesus in with palm branches, and now a crowd comes to Jesus with what? Swords and clubs. And they were from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer, notice the reference to Judas, his betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one, arrest him and take him away under guard. Okay, so this kiss language, this, this idea of kissing, uh, it, it's, it's not erotic or romantic. It's, it's a signal or symbol of a, a, a deep friendship or a deep trust, a deep relationship. Is this ironic that he is betraying Jesus with an act of connection, an act of respect, an act of admiration? Is this ironic? This is deeply ironic because, because really good friends greet each other with a kiss. And remember, Judas was one of the 12. <clears throat> okay. Um, when we pr- uh, if you know what it's like to be deeply wounded or betrayed by someone close to you, I want you to know that when you pray, you pray to a God who also experientially knows what you feel like. Like in our God's guts, our God gets it. So when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus. You've got the scene. Judas is coming to Jesus. And he said, notice the language, Rabbi. And he what? This is the knife being dug in. This is a deep betrayal. They took hold of him and arrested him. One of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Now I want you to notice the behavior. Someone who is with Jesus, I I think it's one of the disciples, I think it's Peter, uh, and we can talk more about why later, uh, drew his sword and struck and cut off his ear. Notice, okay, so notice. Okay, Okay, we got to do this. When Jesus comes on the scene in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, he says, behold, right? Uh, Hey, everyone, pay attention. The good news of the kingdom of God is near. The good news, the gospel, is that the kingdom of God is near. Therefore, repent, turn from your sin and turn towards me. Repent and believe in the gospel. Then he goes to his disciples and says, follow me. Jesus doesn't say, be a fan of mine. Jesus doesn't necessarily say, let me be your professor and you can be my student. He says, follow me. Be my disciples. I'll be your rabbi. You'll be my disciples. And discipleship is not only following the teachings of someone. The idea of being a disciple is to be also in relationship with the rabbi that you're following. That's why we keep using what sometimes could be considered an old-fashioned word, namely disciple. There's something about the relationship with the rabbi that's also, you know, the the following. So Jesus says to do what? Follow Follow me. Now, Jesus came on the scene proclaiming the good news of what? The kingdom of God. And when, when these disciples heard kingdom, do you know what they thought? They thought, finally... Our nation, our people will finally reestablish our kingdom. They would call it the kingdom of David, who used to be a king of Israel. They are expecting Jesus to kill the Romans and reestablish the kingdom. Because he came proclaiming, the kingdom of God is here. And then he said, follow me. And they're like, yes, Lord, we are going to follow you. And throughout the gospel of Mark, you will notice the disciples having a, a wrestling match with their assumptions about Jesus and how Jesus actually revealed himself to be. Jesus consistently fails to live up to their messianic expectations. What do they want Jesus to do? take out the sword 
and kill the bad guys. But Jesus keeps saying stuff like, look, in, in, in chapter 8, 9, and 10, three times Jesus says, look, we're going to Jerusalem where I'm going to be betrayed and turned over into the hands of sinners, and then I'll be crucified, and then I'm going to die, and then on the third day I'm going to rise again. And on all three of those occasions, the disciples are like, no way, bro. In fact, on all three of those occasions, they wrestle with this idea. And in fact, it's clear they don't get it because they ask Jesus if they get to be in power with him in the, with the framework of the kingdoms of this world. They assume Jesus is coming to just give them another kingdom of this world. Judas, I think, I, this is my conjecture, okay? I think one of the things that happened to Judas especially, I think that Mark means, okay, so bear with me. I think Mark means us to recognize Judas having a conversion experience when the woman came in and broke open the, the jar of perfume and, and, and anointed Jesus. It's Judas who's scoffing and talking about, couldn't we have done things different? And I think in that moment, we're to see Judas turn and say, this is not the type of kingdom I want. Like what was compelling Judas, one of the 12 to betray Jesus. I think it was because Jesus was not living up to his expectations. He was expecting a, a Rome slayer. In fact, I'm going to argue, I hope to prove it from the text, that that's what all the disciples, uh, the, excuse me, that's what all of the 12, that's what's happening to all of them, and here's why I would say that. What's the move? What's the flinch? What's the reflex of this disciple who is standing by? What's his flex? They come to take Jesus, who has been saying multiple times, I'm going to be turned over into the hands of sinners. He says it multiple times. And what's their flex? Their flex is, all right, it's time. Right? Finally a showdown. Okay. Drew his sword and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Uh, Jesus said to them, oh man, this is so good. Have you come out with... Swords and clubs as if I were a timeout. Okay, 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 okay. This is so cool. Oh my gosh. The Bible is so awesome. Um, okay, check this out. This word for criminal that's translated in the CSV as criminal could also be, some of your translations may say robber, but that's not quite getting at it. Another way to translate it, which some translations have, is a rebel or an insurrectionist. Okay, so <clears throat> insurrectionist, someone who wants to overthrow uh, the powers that be. You guys with me so far? Insurrectionists, someone who wants to overthrow the powers that be. Like if you were, and there were previous messiahs who came in and said, I'm the promised one, I'm the anointed one, I'm the messiah. And you know what they tried to do? Kill the Romans. It's, 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 so, so, so this is totally normal, right? For them to assume that Jesus is an insurrectionist. And this is so great. Okay, hang with me. Right? Okay, your ticket entitles you to your whole seat, but you're only going to need the edge of it because what we're about to do is to show something that's going to blow your mind as it relates to Good Friday and Easter, okay? Remember this word criminal. This ins I'm going to use the word insurrection if that's okay just to make it stick, just to make it sharp, okay? So Jesus says, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were an insurrectionist? What's the assumption? I'm not an insurrectionist. Then, on uh, Good Friday, do you know that Jesus was crucified between two people? And you know that we, we know actually what they were being crucified for. Do you know what they were being crucified for? It's the same word. They were insurrectionists. 
The, some translations will say thieves, but it's the same word in Greek. They're, do you think that people got crucified because they stole bread? The reason that you would get crucified by the Roman government is if you were a threat to whom? That's why they crucified. They wouldn't waste all that energy crucifying you just for taking something. Right? Crucifixion was a political move to say, don't mess with us. Jesus was crucified between two insurrectionists, and Jesus here is saying, are you coming to me? Now here's the other one. Oh, my gosh. Ready? This is going to get super nerdy, and some people are going to fall asleep. And when this is over, I want you to nudge them and wake them up and say, we're back. Jesus is in this text and elsewhere referred to as the Son of God. Now, this is the rabbit trail. Oh, man. Jesus is referred to as the Son of God frequently, and he calls God Father or Abba. You guys ever heard that before? He, he actually refers to God as Abba. So he's the Son of Abba, right? Yeah, Jesus is the Son of Abba. So um, uh, there's this scene where Pilate, who's a Roman official, doesn't want to have Jesus killed. He, he doesn't think Jesus should be killed. And then he does this thing where he's like, isn't it, you know, they, they, they devise this plan where it's like, let, we know that on, you know, like on, on um, Passover, isn't it a tradition where we release a criminal? And then they bring up this criminal. Barabbas is how we usually translate it. But that's interesting because bar Abba means son of the father. Like Jesus is Jesus bar Abba. He's Jesus son of Abba, Right. But, and so, and he's being accused of, uh, he's actually going to be crucified with insurrectionist language. But, but you know what the people actually do is uh, the pilot comes to him and says, hey, do you guys want um, uh, Jesus bar Abba or do you want bar Abbas? And bar Abbas was going to be executed because he was a, you're never going to guess, he was an insurrectionist. And you know what the people chanted? Give us bar Abbas. What should we do with Jesus bar Abba? Crucify him. Now, why do people, why were these people so vehemently uh, wanting bar Abbas and willing to crucify Jesus bar Abba? Because he failed to meet their messianic expectations. Hello. Okay, I told you this was cool. Okay, watch this. Have you come at me? This is the irony. Have you come at me as if I were an insurrectionist? And the answer is, that is what we're doing. The irony is, is that's who all of his followers want him to be. He's being killed. Being, he's being arrested and being accused for being what he refuses to be. All right. Every day I was among you. I love this. Every day, Jesus is so cool. Every day I was among you teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. At this point, um, so Mary Healy, who's a, a theologian, she says this. From this moment on, in Mark chapter 14, Jesus ceases to be the active agent and now simply allows things to happen to him. There's a twist. There's a moment where Jesus is no longer the one calling the shots. Jesus takes now a passive role in the rest of the narrative. In fact, Healy says this, she put it so well, that Jesus is the one who often laid his hands on the sick for healing. And now in this moment and the rest of the narrative, the hands of men will be placed upon him, not for healing, but for violence. Let's keep going. 
Okay, remember, so this is, I'm, I'm trying to argue here. I think that the, that the followers of Jesus had a misunderstanding of who Jesus was and what he was teaching them and what he was saying he was. They, they didn't, they were constantly frustrated and perplexed by Jesus because he was not living up to their messianic expectations of what a Messiah should be. They have, the disciples have previously shown great courage, willing to lay down their lives for Jesus, or at least their perception of who Jesus is. But now Jesus is confounding their expectations and notice what they all do. Then they all deserted him and what? So, so I used to read this text just thinking, oh, they were afraid to die. But these, these people have shown tremendous courage throughout the narrative. I don't think it's so much that they're afraid to die. I think they're afraid to die for a lost cause. For, for a cause they no longer believe in. Jesus, at this point in time, aside from Peter, you no longer hear about any of the 12 in the rest of the narrative. Jesus is completely alone with the exception of three named women disciples. Other than them, according to the narrative in Mark, he's completely abandoned. Now watch this. It may be our uh, tendency to think, well, I would never betray my king. I would never abandon Jesus in his great hour of need. I love this. Now, a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth. Remember I said we're just going to notice some things, and if it's weird, we're just going to let it be weird. Remember I said that? We're about to get naked. Wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away. Come on. It's in the Bible. You can say it. Someone's like, we should say nude. Okay, whatever. <laughs> nude. As, as some would say, naked. Is this quite strange? Talk. You guys don't think it's strange? A bunch of weirdos? Isn't this strange? It's quite strange. Now, let's see how Mark resolves it. Oh, he doesn't. <laughs> he just keeps going as if this is like the most normal thing. Okay, so let me just give you, I just want to notice a couple of things. One, uh, some traditions hold that this is Mark inserting himself into the story. That Mark is the only one who could know that he ran away naked because he was the last one. Notice he was the last one. And it could be that Mark. Now, I, I'm, I'm like 50-50 on that one. I kind of think that's a neat idea. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. There's nothing in the text to lead us to believe that it's Mark. Um, I, I think the author of Mark is actually doing something that he's done before. I think this is a lived out, I think this is a living parable. Like the cursing of the fig tree. I think this is a living parable. Notice, uh, who's, who's this person? A certain what? Young man. Who, who's that? know. Uh, and what's he wearing? Nothing but a linen cloth, TV timeout. At the time that Mark would have been heard in congregations like this, we, we, at least to the best of my understanding, uh, at, at the ritual of baptism, they would have worn a linen robe and nothing else. So, so it could be that Mark intends his hearers to see themselves in this kind of ambiguous figure. In fact, I am actually compelled to think that, and you don't have to you don't have to buy into that, it's just my opinion. But I'm actually compelled to think so because Mark does this frequently throughout the Gospel of Mark where he's, he's intentionally ambiguous, inviting you to lean in and maybe to project yourself into the text to see that even myself would run away. Uh, notice, what did Jesus call his disciples to do? 
Jesus keeps saying, follow me. So there's someone who's following him, but they caught hold of him, and he left and ran away naked with nothing. Okay. Let's keep going. <clears throat> they led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes assembled. Peter, this is the last time we're going to get a narrative with any of the 12, and it's Peter, and it doesn't work out well. In fact, the knife of betrayal and abandonment just goes in even further. Mark here is going to do a sandwich. He's done, uh, I call him, uh, some people call him the Mark and Sandwich, where he starts a story, injects a different story, and then concludes the first story, right? He, he's going to do that again with Peter, then Jesus, then Peter. So watch this. <laughs> Which means I think we're supposed to juxtapose Peter and Jesus, where Peter is faithless and Jesus is faithful. Watch in the text. Peter followed him at a distance. Okay, so what did Jesus say that he wanted us to do? Follow me. And so what's Peter doing? Following him how? Remember that being a disciple means close proximity. To be a follower of Jesus is to follow in relationship with him, to be, to be near to him. And yet Peter is now doing what? Peter, up until this point in time, has followed Jesus like this. Like, to the point where I think there's occasion where Jesus actually gets exasperated with him always being around, you know. And now, Peter is where? To my, to my reading, this is the first time you get that language of Peter following at a distance. It could be that Peter is having a crisis of faith or a conversion experience. I don't know. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the high priest's court. He was sitting with the servants doing What? And where's Jesus? At a distance, warming himself by a fire. Jesus is bound and being tried by a kangaroo court. Jesus, in his greatest hour of need, is in complete isolation. And where's Peter? He's distant from Jesus, finding comfort by other means. Oh, that'll preach. Come now. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, which is basically like, um, uh, if you'll pardon the anachronism, um, this is like city hall. Like they had some legal authority to have people arrested, to have people tried. Uh, this is, uh, it's 71 of the ruling elders, chief priests and scribes and whatnot. Anyway, so the Sanhedrin, which is a religious and political entity, governmental entity, they were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death. What did they want to do to Jesus? kill him. But they could not find any. So they're trying to do like a kangaroo court, right? They're trying to find testimony against him. For many were giving what? False testimony, right? Against him. And the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, stating, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Okay, now watch this. Do you remember what most people's messianic hopes were? Kill the Romans so we can reestablish our power. At the center in their minds in Jerusalem, the center of power was not the palace, but the temple. And so Jesus having a conversation about tearing down the temple is not just a religious threat, it's also a governmental, political, and ethnic threat. Because the temple is it's, it's like the National Cathedral and the White House merged into one, if you'll, par if you'll pardon me. Okay, so this tearing down of the temple, this is dangerous to our people, if you are the Sanhedrin. And so this testimony uh, reeks. Now watch this. Yet their testimony did not agree even on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept what? 
silent and did not answer them. Jesus, okay, Jesus, up until this point in time in the Gospel of Mark, has been either silent or coy about who he is. It's like frustrating. People will ask him a straightforward question and he'll kind of be like this. Or people will be like, hey, you're the Messiah. And he's like, don't tell anybody. Because Jesus does not want his messiahship, his anointedness, his, his saviorness, he does not want it to be misunderstood as simply conforming to what the majority of people wanted him to be, right? Now Jesus is going to stop being silent and stop being coy, and he's going to directly answer the question. Because now he's bound. He's marching to the cross. And I think, if you'll pardon me, I think in Jesus' mind he's thinking, there's no way that they can be confused now. Um, the high pri- oh, oh, okay. Come here. Let's huddle up. Come here. Come here. All right, I'll huddle up. You guys huddling up? Okay, come on. Let, lean in. Yeah, yeah, okay. I gotta tell you something. Okay, before we go on, I need you guys to know something, okay? Uh, back in the book of Exodus, everybody's favorite book, go home and read it later. In the book of Exodus, there's this dude named Moses. You guys ever heard of Moses? Tell me, tell me you've heard of Moses. Okay. So Moses was going to lead God's people out of Egypt. They were in captivity from Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a bunch of people killed, and Moses is kind of scared. And he talks to God after God says, hey, you know, go lead my people out of Egypt. And you, and you, you know what? He's, Moses is nervous. He's like, I'm going to go back to these people and say, God told me, and we don't even know your name. So Moses says to God, at this point in time, he doesn't know God's name. He just says, who, who should I tell them sent me? You know, what, you know what God says to him? He says, tell them, I am who I am sent you. Or uh, 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 he is who he is, or Yahweh sent you. Tell him Yahweh sent you. Tell him I am sent you. So the name of God, according to Moses' understanding, is, is, is I am. Okay? Good? Okay, okay, break. Okay, now, back to the text. So don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent. Okay, this is the last time he's going to keep silent in this interrogation and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him, are you the Messiah, the, right, the Bar Abba, the son of the blessed one or the son of God? Jesus answered him, what? what? Here Jesus intentionally, boom, lays it down. And I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you that that's exactly what he meant to happen. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. This is Psalms language. This is Daniel language that speaks of God. And coming with the clouds of heaven, which is where who lives? God lives, right? Then the high priest, this is the proof, the high priest uh, got naked. The high priest, a lot of nudity in this text. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, why do we still need witnesses? You have heard this. Here now, Jesus finally comes out with it. Notice when Jesus, <clears throat> notice at which part in the story Jesus reveals his divinity. What kind of a Messiah is he? Notice he, he didn't do it at the feeding of the 5,000. He didn't do it at the raising of Lazarus. He didn't do it when he was teaching in the synagogue. When's he finally reveal? From this moment on, Jesus will take on a silent and acted upon role, with very rare exception. What is your decision? They all condemned him for deserving death. Then some began to spit on him, blindfold him, and beat him, just as he said. And they said, prophesy. Then they, even the temple servants took him and slapped him. Notice we're back to Peter, the second part of Mark's sandwich. 
While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, there it is again. Where's Peter now? Yeah, he's comfy cozy. When he's warming himself by the fire, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he what? To be, um, some of you have felt this, and I certainly don't mean to trample. If I go to my, um, if I go to Starbucks, and I, I say, I'd like a coffee, please, and they say, you're nothing to me. What, what, how do I feel? Weird. Like, okay, barista, I'll just go to the other coffee place. That's strange. But if someone who is in my inner circle says to me, you're nothing to me, I don't even know you, how, how might that make me feel? So, so, so notice what Peter's saying here. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, you think I know Jesus, I don't, I don't know Jesus. I don't understand. Here's the irony. I don't think Peter did understand. I think Peter is having a conversion experience. I think Peter's faith in a, um, in a, in a political Messiah is crumbling in this moment. I, I don't understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the entryway, so he leaves, and a rooster crowed. Then the maidservant saw him, this maidservant, great eyes, right? Sees him again. She begins to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again, remember, where's Jesus? And, and Peter, this seems to, Mark seems to want us to think these things are happening simultaneously. Uh, this man is one of them. But again, he... After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them since you're also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And this is the last time we see Peter in the Gospel of Mark. This is the last time we see any of the 12 in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is, in this narrative, completely isolated, betrayed, and alone, with the exception of three named women who had followed him faithfully. And there are many of us who resonate with Peter. Jesus has confounded us. He's confused us. He hasn't lived up to our expectations. He's, he's been ambiguous in our lives. We can't quite get it. And I, I just... I want to land here, and then we're going to uh, reflect and, and read the text and take communion. G- Peter is reinstated. Jesus actually comes to Peter in the Gospel of John and reinstates him to relationship. And here's the reminder I want to give. Do you know who Jesus says yes to? Anyone who wants Jesus. Jesus consistently says, follow me. So even if I'm following Jesus and I turn from him, do you know what his message to me is? Hey, hey, come on, follow me. Notice, there are no perfect disciples in this text. There is no one showing perfect faith. These followers of Jesus are riddled with doubt, confusion, misunderstanding, even so much so that they would act in ways that are contrary to Jesus. And yet, you know what Jesus continually says to them? Come on, keep following me. It's okay. Right? This is repentance. I go towards my own way. And repentance is turning and turning back to God. And that's what Jesus keeps saying. I'm here with the kingdom of God. This is good news. Now follow me. Turn from going that way. 
turn back to me. And do you know how many times Jesus uh, will do that for us? Yes. In as much as we turn away, he says, come on back. It's okay. I'm here. And so I'm going to ask that you would hear the text. If you would please, I, I, I love reading the Bible, but don't, maybe don't read along and just let the text come over you and allow the Spirit to work in your imagination. We're going to read the text and then I'll lead us in communion. This is Mark 14, 43 and on. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said. He's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So when they came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they took hold of him and arrested him. One of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you teaching in the temple, and you did not arrest me. And yet the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes assembled. Peter followed him at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. And he was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any, for many were giving false testimony against him, and the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, stating, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands, and yet... Their testimony did not agree even on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus, don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. When the high priest tore his robes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him and to beat him, saying, Prophesy! The temple servants also took him and slapped him. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. She saw Peter warming himself. She looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. And yet he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the entryway and a rooster crowed. 
When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them, since you are also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. He broke down and he wept. Before we take communion, would you just take a moment and reflect on the things that you've heard today? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, his imperfect, fear-filled, confused disciples. And even knowing what would come, he said to them, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and eat? And then in speaking to his imperfect disciples, full of confusion and fear and misunderstanding, knowing that they would abandon him and yet he would redeem them, he said, after giving them the cup, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and drink? Join me as we pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and we know that you love us. And as we follow as your disciples, we recognize our imperfections, we recognize our sin, we recognize that it's consistent in our lives that we need to hear the words, repent and believe in the good news, to turn from our own way and to continually turn back to you. And though we see that in ourselves, Lord, we also see in you a divine goodness, a majestic grace, a powerful love. And Lord, would you continue to shape us by the power of your spirit more and more into your image as a church family, that we might reflect your goodness and grace to one another. 
And in this uh, Easter season, as we reflect upon Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday, Lord, that you would draw us near to you, in deeper union with you and with one another. We ask these things knowing that you love us and you're powerful to bring them about, and so we entrust ourselves to you. Amen. Amen. Uh, as we dismiss, I'm going to invite our prayer team to join me here at the front. If you'd like prayer today, the members of our prayer team will be available here up front. If you're not able to make it down to the front, that's no problem. Just wave us down and we'll come and pray with you. And would you all please stand and receive this benediction from the word of the Lord in Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor onto you and bring you peace. Let us go and live in light of this truth. Love you guys. We'll see you next time.